Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. So we are in this uh, series, this kind of kickoff series this fall, and it is fall for some of us. Um, if you're in school, then it's fall. If you're not in school, it still feels like summer, doesn't it? But, uh, uh, but we're in our fall kickoff series. We're calling it Mission Possible, and we're trying to focus in on what is our mission as a church? What's our mission as North Bible Church? And, and we had sort of reduced it to three major things. It feels simple, but living it is the hard part, and that is to love God, to love one another, and love the world. Last week we talked about what it means to love God and we finished with this picture, this idea uh, that we love God from 1 John, that we love God because he first loved us. And that's the mark and that's uh, how we live our lives because of Jesus' love for us, we in in turn, we love others. And and so this week we're gonna talk about what it looks like uh, to love others. We had this verse that we talked about uh, last week from John 13, 34, that Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you. And so he said, that's the model. He said, uh, love one another as I've loved you. He set the bar there. He said, if you wanna know what it really means to love, then you love one another as I have loved you. And then he shows us, he talks to us about how, how to do that because it's easy to say, it's easy to say love one another as I've loved you. It's just really hard to live it out. It's really hard to figure out how to do it. In fact, I was reading a survey uh, during the week uh, from a sociologist, uh, and it was, uh, he was talking about neighborhoods. It was a public policy expert named Mark Dunkelman, uh, and he noted that there used to be this necessity to reach out and build bonds with people who lived nearby. And then he said, but from the 1920s to around the 1960s, there was sort of a cohort effect in which people were more inclined in many cases to find security that existed in neighborhoods, that people knew their neighbors, they borrowed a cup of sugar from their neighbors, they had neighborhood parties, they shared tools, they shared lawnmowers, they did. They knew each other, they knew each other's families, they sent each other's kids home when they were misbehaving, all of those kinds of things. That's what a neighborhood look like, and then suddenly that's all changed, that only about 20% of Americans now spend any time outside of their house getting to know their neighbors. It's just not done, that we live uh, consistently more isolated lives, and we can blame all kinds of things. You know, you hit the garage door opener, you drive in, you, you, you close it, you go into your house, you do your deal, uh, you're, you kind of live your own life, you live in a little bit of isolation, and, and now we've do- gotten so good at it, we're so smart, we're so technologically sa- savvy that you never have to look anybody in the eye now. You can text them, you can email them, you can communicate in a dozen different ways without ever sitting down with, with another person. Uh, In fact, you can even order your food and have it delivered to your house. You don't have to go to the grocery store anymore. You don't have to look at the person at the cash register. Uh, You can buy anything, anything that you want. You can find it online. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to see anybody. And we live in communities that are more and more isolated. And not only do we not know our neighbors, we just don't know anybody around us. We don't have that many friends. And yet the Bible teaches us something totally contrary to that. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus identified the neighbors, the one who was in need. He said, our responsibility is to meet the need of that person. He, tell, he tells us to love one another as he's loved us. There's something significant about being in community. If you were listening uh, to Kirsten's announcements, the, the thing that would have rung true to you was that we spend a lot of time trying to get people together. We spend a lot of time trying to help people connect with each other. So we're gonna have hot dogs today after the service so that it's not because hot dogs are particularly spectacular, they're okay, but it's an opportunity for us to get together. It's an opportunity for us to hang out together, to actually talk to some people, to interact with somebody, maybe meet somebody that we don't know, which is, you know, frightening to many of us. And then we talk about our community groups and our gatherings, and it's simply an attempt to say, what has Jesus called us to do? Who has he called us to be? Let's figure that out, and let's do it together. Let's experience some community together. Let's see what it looks like to be neighbors. Let's see what it looks like to be a family. Read through the, the New Testament and look at the imagery that we have in the New Testament about people who are followers of Jesus. We're called a family. We're called the family of God. That, and you know, one of the things we've talked about in the past that, that makes it really hard to, to, to really think about it is that one thing you know about family, because you've all been in a family, right? One thing you know about family is that you don't get to pick your family. You're born into it. You belong to that family. And, and for good times and bad times and easy times and hard times, you're part of that family and you have to figure out how to get along. You have to figure out how to live together. You have to figure out what it means to be a family. We're, we're called the body of Christ. Jesus said you're all knit together and when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. That we experience that together, that's how he made us, that's how he intended us to live, and so he gives us all of these images, all of these applications. He says, now I want you to live that way. And he says, now I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna show you what does it look like to love one another as I've loved you. And Jesus gives us some pictures of what that might look like. And, and so we're gonna consider one of those stories this morning out of the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Um, it's, it's a, if you've not heard it, it's an amazing story. Many of you have heard it before, but, but just to take a little different look at it, we're gonna show it to you on a video. It's a great story out of John 13. There are a couple of things that I want to talk about to give us a context for that. The, the very first thing is that it says in verse one is that, uh, that knowing that his hour had come, that up until this point uh, when G people had asked Jesus for something or, or uh, situations had come up, he said, my hour has not yet come. Now he knows that his hour has come. This is the very night that he's gonna be betrayed. This is the night that the soldiers are gonna come and arrest him. On the next day, he's gonna be crucified. Jesus knows that all of this is about to happen, that things are moving, things are going forward, uh, and he is ready for that. He calls his disciples to a little room, and they're gonna have uh, what we call the Last Supper. They don't all know it's the Last Supper, but they know they're having supper with Jesus that night, and he's gonna give them final instructions. He's gonna teach them. One of the things that I love about this passage is that it says he calls them into the upper room, and Jesus loved them, it says. He loved them to the very end. He never stopped loving those disciples. That's pretty remarkable because I, there's, this is about the moment that I'm thinking, okay, let's, let's get these guys, let's start over. 
Let's start over, God. These guys still don't get it. Luke tells us in his gospel that while they're coming up to the upper room, they still don't believe that Jesus is gonna die. They still think somehow he's kidding, you know, he's not gonna do it, that, that Jesus is gonna overthrow the Romans, he's gonna establish his kingdom, and they, the 12 of them, they're gonna be his cabinet, they're gonna be the vice president and the attorney general, and they're gonna have all these lofty positions, and they're gonna help Jesus rule the world, and, and that's their next step, and so as they're going to the upper room, they're arguing with each other about who's going to be the greatest. They're trying to one-up each other. They're competing with each other. They're so self-centered. They have no concept of what's about to happen. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be the most special, who's going to have the best role in, the, in God's kingdom. They're, those are the things that they're focused on. Those are the things that they're talking about and arguing with each other. So as they get up the stairs, as they get to the upper room, one of the things that was missing is typically in a situation like that, the youngest, the, the lowest servant in the household would be at the door with a basin of water and he would wash the feet of the people who came in. They would also wash their hands to be ceremonially pure. They would wash their hands, someone would wash their feet and then they would go and recline at the table. Well, the disciples come in, uh, in their, their self-centeredness, uh, in their competition, in their arrogance, they look at, they think who, you know, an attorney general would never stoop to wash his own feet. The vice president would never wash his own feet. I am not gonna stoop down and wash my own feet. I would never do that. So they just come in and, and recline at the table with their dirty feet. And the picture we have of Jesus who loved them to the very end, he gets up from the table as they're there. And, and the one thing that, that it doesn't portray in the video, but it says that he took off his outer garment, he took off his cloak, and, and he took what he was wearing underneath, and he tied it up, he pulled it up so it, it didn't get in his way, and he tucked it under whatever kind of belt that he wore, and he took the basin and he began to wash their feet. He washed the feet of his disciples. Now I want you to think about this just for a second. Whose feet did he wash? He washed Judas's feet. The, the very person that in a, a, few, a little bit later is gonna go out in the night and he's gonna betray Jesus, he's gonna sell out Jesus for, for 30 pieces of silver. He's gonna betray his Lord and Jesus washes his feet. Who else? He washes Peter's feet. And just a short time after this, Peter's gonna be standing in front of a fire and a young woman's gonna say, aren't you one of his disciples? And he's gonna deny Jesus three times. But here in the upper room, Jesus washes his feet. He loved his disciples to the very end. He showed them what it looks like to be a servant. He showed them what real love looks like. And then Jesus says to him, well, you know, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, I am. I'm the Lord, I'm your teacher. And you know, no, no servant is above his master, no student is above his teacher, and so you've seen what I've done, you've seen how I've treated you, now you go and do that. You go and do likewise. Do you wanna know what it looks like to love one another? You know what it, wanna know what it looks like to be a servant? It means that you wash people's feet, that you're willing to take the lowest job, you're willing to take the most humble job, and you wash other people's feet. That's what it looks like. If you want a picture of Jesus, if you want a picture of the love of Christ, if you want a picture of the, the humility of Jesus, if you want a, a picture of what it looks like to live like Jesus, it's washing the feet of a bunch of guys that didn't deserve it. 
of a bunch of guys that if it were me, I would have given up on. But that's not Jesus. He loved them to the very end. He loves us that way. And he says, now I want you to go and live like that. It's a pretty powerful picture we have, but Jesus is doing something really intentional. He says, Jesus is building a new community. He assumes the role of the lowest, the most humble servant, and he gives us this unforgettable picture of what it means to love one another. He washes their feet, and then he says, go and do that. We have some other verses, 1 John 4, uh, verses 7 through 11, and then verse 21 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Isn't that fascinating? He's saying, you know, one of the ways that that you know that you belong to Jesus is how you love other people, that that's the mark of being a follower of Christ is our love for others. So uh, John goes on to say, in this love of God, Uh, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he's loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the forgiveness, in other words, uh, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also uh, ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then he finishes this chapter with this verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister, I might add. So we look at this. Let us love one another for love is from God. And then he reminds us that God sent his son and his incredible love for us, he sent his son and he, who gave himself for us, who showed us what real looks, love looks like. You know, the disciples didn't even have the cross yet to compare it to. They just saw Jesus washing the feet of his followers, washing the feet of his disciples, of them. And they knew that. And Peter, Peter, of course, you, you know, you gotta love Peter, right? Peter's the guy that never, he just fills air. There's nothing to say. In fact, there's a point in Luke, the 10th chapter, it says, or 17th chapter, it says that, um, that Peter, not knowing what to say, says, he just talks, right? There's, there's just no, there's no air there. There's no space. Peter just likes to talk. And so Peter is talking again as Jesus is washing the feet. He says, no, not me, Jesus. Don't wash my feet. No, I, I, you know, he, he's trying somehow to get out of this. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't be part of what I'm doing. You can't be part of this. And Peter says, well then, do, one, do me one better. Because I am Peter, I am the rock, you know, seriously. And uh, so do one, wash my, my head and my, my hands as well. Give me more than you're giving the other guys. And Jesus says, no, this is, once you've been cleansed, you only need to wash your, hand, your feet to be clean all over. Let me do this for you. And, and Peter let Jesus wash his feet, but he did so reluctantly. He still was trying to figure out what is it that Jesus is doing for me? What does this this really mean? Uh, Later on, he would understand. Then the apostle John, who's there that night, you you know, we talked about him a little bit in the past, that that he was the only one of the disciples that, that didn't die a martyr's death. He lived years later, and about 40 years after Christ died on the cross and rose again, John is writing his epistle. He's reflecting back on the life of Jesus and all that he learned. And here's one thing that we know. It's part of the oral tradition of John. It's one one of the stories about the Apostle John is that when he was an old man, he was living in Ephesus, and he couldn't walk anymore. 
And so you'd have his disciples, his followers, they would put him on a cot and they would carry him around the city. And whenever he came in contact with someone, he had one, he had, he had one line sermon and he preached it everywhere. You want to talk about the gift of repetition? John, John's my hero. He preached one sermon everywhere he went and it was simply this, children love one another. Children love one another. After all of those years, after everything that he had been through, everything that he had seen, all of his experiences, that is what he wanted to make sure they understood because he knew something would happen. He knew people would see something special, that people would see an authentic Jesus when they saw our love for each other, how we washed each other's feet, how we cared for each other, how we put other people's needs in, in front of our own. John wanted us to understand that so we talked about John 13, 34, which was great, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also love one another. We get that, right? Okay, Larry, enough, I hear it. But here's what Jesus said in verse 35. He said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Seriously, this is how we are identified. This is how the world knows that we're followers of Jesus. You, you see, you can know all of the Bible verses that, you know, humanly possible, and, and you can know all of the songs that, that any worship team ever sings, and, and, and you can write some checks, and you can do all of those things, and here's what Jesus said. Here's what the world is looking at. Here's what the world will decide if you're an authentic follower of Jesus is how much you love one another. That's it. It's not all the rest of that stuff. That's all good, it's all fine, it all has its place, but that's not what the world is looking for. You see, we, we live in a world that so desperately needs relationships. We live in a world that's so isolated. We live in a world that's so lost, that's so contrary to, to, to things of God. And he's saying, how are they gonna see an authentic follower of Jesus? When they live it out, when they love one another, when they're willing to take the lowest position the, the position of humility and wash one another's feet, that's when we'll know because here's what Jesus was doing. He said, I'm creating a new humanity. I'm creating a community like no other community that's ever been on the face of the earth. I am building something and you, my friends, are gonna be a city set on a hill. You're the light of the world and people are gonna see your light and they're gonna be drawn from the darkness to that light and they will experience me because of you and how they see me is how you love one another. And, and you can wear all of the WWJD bracelets you want and that's all great, but if you wear a WWJD bracelet and you don't love one another, then it doesn't matter. Then it comes across unauthentic. Is that a word? I think so. It comes across fake. It comes across phony. It comes across as just something that we do. We wear bracelets, yay us. You can wear a cross around your neck, that's beautiful, but if you don't love, people don't see Jesus, they just see a necklace. But when we love one another, we learn to serve one another people will turn and look. People wanna be part of something that's real, part of something that's authentic, part of something that they, they can be part of. And here, here's the thing I love about this story, is sometimes we talk about serving, and people will say to me, Larry, I am a horrible teacher. 
if you let me teach, those children would be ax murderers, okay? It's just not, it's, it's a bad thing. Don't let me in there, okay? That's not good. Or, or I can't sing to save my life, and, and you don't want me up there, even though I would look good, you don't want me up there because I can't sing. I don't really have any of those strengths. I don't have any of those gifts. I'm just here, right? And so here's, here's, what, I, here's what Jesus would say to you. Oh, but you can wash feet. You see, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't take any great skill to wash feet, right? It, it's just washing feet. It's just saying, I'll serve. What, what's the need? I'll, I'll help with that need. I'll, I'll come around that need. It, you don't have to be eloquent to wash feet. You don't have to be, you know, super smart and know all kinds of, to wash feet. Here, here's the other thing about washing feet that I think is really important. It, it's, really hard, it's really hard to wash feet and take a selfie at the same time. Seriously? Jesus says, I just want you to serve because you love me. I want you to serve because that's what I did. I want you to love one another because I've loved you. That's the picture that he's looking at. That's what he wants us to understand. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So there was a pastor who was preparing a sermon and uh, he posted on Facebook some questions. And he posed the question to his uh, friends on Facebook, what, what uh, makes it hard for you to serve other people? And he was fascinated by the responses. Here are a few of them. Uh, he, he said, serving is hard when it doesn't fit into my schedule or plan, like when I wanna go for a walk or take a long bath, but my aging parents need me to, to sort their meds, run an errand, or simply be with them. It's hard to serve. Uh, it's hard, uh, another person said, it's hard when, they need, uh, when their needs seemed endless. Seems endless. I, I don't want to risk helping serving because I may get sucked in and being swallowed up in the serving and not getting the time that I think that I need or, or the time that allows me to be who I want to be. Makes it hard to serve. And then another person said, there's, there's such limited energy left after a demanding workday meeting our basic responsibilities, whether with young kids or in the corporate world. How do you balance the need for rest and self-care with serving others? And we have the picture of Jesus. We have the image of Jesus who on the night that he was betrayed washed the feet of his disciples. And the night that he knew that that Judas was gonna sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. I think he was busy. I think Jesus was busy. And he was probably tired. And he washed the feet of his disciples. He knew Peter was gonna deny him three times. And he still washed his feet. He loved them to the end. I don't think it becomes a matter of fatigue or energy or time. I think it becomes a matter of love. If we follow Christ's example, if we love because he first loved us, and we find ourselves in a situation, how do I love others? How do I wash the feet of people around me? Maybe that's what the Lord's looking for. Here's the last one. He said his favorite answer was this one. What makes it hard to serve others? Others. Seriously, right? It's just, it's just hard, right? I mean, think about in your own home. Sometimes the hardest place to serve, the hardest place to love is in your house. Uh, that's where people can push your buttons. Maybe it's, you know, it, it's just hard sometimes to love 
others because they're others, because of who they are, because they annoy us, because they're hard to love. And Jesus says that's what humility looks like, that's what real love looks like, that's what authentic love looks like. To love one another's, I've loved you, because I don't think I'm all that lovable. And Jesus has loved me. And I think if you were to take a, just a wild guess, you might not be all that lovable either. But Jesus loves you and he will love you to the very end. That's his promise. You know, there was a, there was a recent article, <clears throat> last year actually, 2017, and, uh, about uh, the tech entrepreneur uh, Elon Musk. And most of you probably heard of Elon Musk. He's really famous. He's built four companies into billion dollar a year corporations, right? And uh, he's the Tesla car guy, most of you know, and he wants to go to space and do all these kind of things. And Elon Musk uh, was in this interview and he said that he has everything except love. Musk is one of the only people in the world who started four separate billion-dollar companies after his divorce to his ex-wife Justine and his breakup with his actress girlfriend. Musk has no one with whom to share his luxurious lifestyle. The 46-year-old Musk said being in an empty house and no footsteps echoing through the hallways, no one over there, how do you make yourself happy in a situation like that? He added, when I was a child, there was one thing I said, I never want to be alone. And then he whispered again, I never want to be alone. Here's one of the most famous guys in the world, here's one of the most successful guys in the world, and his biggest fear, his deepest need, is not to be alone. And here's my conjecture, is that we live in a world like that. That most of the time it's people that you'd never suspect. Most of the time it's people you would never dream. Um, most of the time it's people who look so successful, so happy, all of the stuff, all of the whistles and bells, everything that we think would make people happy or people would think would make people happy and they are alone, they're isolated. And all Jesus says is that whoever that person is, it's not about social status, it's not about wealth, it's not about any of those things. It's just simply, they're a person in need of the love of Christ. They're a person in need of someone to wash their feet, someone to come authentically in the name of Jesus and care about whatever the need that they have. And it's not about your abilities, your resume, it's about your heart. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to serve that way? And that's, that's all we look for. When we think about what does it mean to love God and love one another, we're just simply talking about living a Jesus life, living the way Christ did, living the example. He said, you've seen what I've done, now you go and do that. You go and do likewise. You live that kind of life. You serve others as I've served you. You love others as I've loved you. That's what it looks like to love one another. It doesn't mean we make excuses for people. It doesn't mean we overlook everything. It doesn't mean any of those. It just simply means that our first posture is to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And he said he loved them to the very end. He loves us to the very end. How would he have us love one another? Because we're in this together. And if we want to be a city set on a hill, if we want the world to see Jesus, if we understand how critical and how important that is, then it really begins with how we live our lives together. How we love Christ through each other. 
how we serve each other, what we're willing to do for the sake of each other. Now, there's an interesting passage in the scripture that you guys are um, all familiar with. Uh, it's, it's 1 Corinthians 13. Um, in fact, if you, uh, you may not, have, maybe you haven't been to church a lot, but if you've ever been to a wedding, uh, you've, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13. And most of the time, we jump to the v- verse four that talks about, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, and we talk about that, which is awesome. But I love the very first three verses in, in 1 Corinthians 13, because here's what it says. It, it says, if, if, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, sometimes when I read that passage, here's what I have to do. I have to paraphrase that passage a little bit and put myself in there. I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if you've tried that exercise, putting yourself into a passage. So here's what I would read, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If I, um, if, if I could preach sermons that were just like the most awesome sermons ever in history, and people would sit in, a, in, in a packed out houses and on the edge of their seats and, and as soon as I was done, they would do one of two things. They would either all storm the aisle for repentance or they would stand up and applaud and cheer and weep and all. If I could preach sermons like that every week but I didn't have love, then I'm just making noise. It's just noise and it won't change hearts. It won't have the impact that I would hope it would have. It just becomes noise. The second thing that Paul says here, he says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. <laughs> I love this, I put myself in. If, if I knew all of the mysteries, like why God invented mosquitoes, if I knew that stuff, if, if I had all the knowledge, like I could answer any Bible question that anybody had, I could answer it definitively, give you the right answer, just nail it, everybody go, okay, now we all know. If I could do that, but I didn't have love, Jesus says that is nothing. That's just noise. It doesn't change lives, it doesn't change hearts, it doesn't move people. It doesn't pull us together. And then finally, he says, And if I gave away all I have, if I gave my money away, and I gave up my body to be burned, you know, my body to be burned at the stake, if I was a martyr for the sake of the gospel, if I was a martyr for the sake of God, but I didn't have love, I gained nothing. It results in nothing. Because it's all about love. It's all about love God, love one another, and love the world. So, I encourage you, I want to encourage you today, sometime, just take those three verses in 1 Corinthians 13 and write you into it. What, what does that mean for you? If I was the greatest grade school teacher in the world and all of my kids could read at a 12th grade level by the time they got out of third grade, if I did, you know, if I could do all of that but had not love, then I'm just making noise. You know, if, if I could do whatever it is, put yourself in there and think about what it means to do it in love. Think about what it means to do it in the love of Christ. What does it mean to give yourself away? What does it mean to love one another as Christ has loved you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of sharing in your word together. 
And Lord, thank you that you give us these unbelievable reminders of, of what it looks like to love you, what it looks like, Lord, to love one another, uh, what it looks like, Lord, to love the world. Uh, Lord, as we, as we consider this, I, I, I just simply pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts, that these words might become our words, they might become real to us. Lord, that you might speak to us. And then, Lord, give us eyes to see people with dirty feet. Give us eyes to see people who need us to come alongside them and, and not to impress them, not to wow them, but to, to love them and serve them the way you've loved us and the way you serve us. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to that, and, and Lord, we want to learn, we want to grow, we want to experience that, and so we thank you. Thank you for your incredible love for us. And we, we, Lord, we give all these things to you for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? It's just, it's, it's like, we're so close to hot dog time. I mean, just, we're right there. It's awesome. Okay, but, um, but we have prayer partners. I would love to pray with you. And then uh, if, if you haven't been here before, we always have prayer partners that, uh, and if you have a need, would like somebody to pray with you or for you, they're available. And also, at the, there's a table in the back with those cool, like, white things jutting up that I'm not sure. I know they're, they're something, but I'm not sure what they are. But um, uh, a decorator can tell you. But um, there's, a, there's cards there, and you can write down your prayer requests, and our staff and our elders and our prayer team will start praying with you, with these, with you and for you first thing tomorrow, and we pray th through those requests uh, Monday mornings and then throughout the week, and so we encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, my prayer for us this morning is simply this, that, that we would seriously consider what it means to love one another. And that we would take the In just a moment, we we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we, we wanted really to thank you for tuning in. Jesus said, North Bible Church is located now in Scottsdale, that. Arizona, that and exists to equip all generations away, to that way. Uh, you know, we, we, we try to create opportunities. We've got hot dogs, awesome. Um, we, we, we have other things. I had one idea. This is a crazy idea, but as new people come to North, as new people get involved, some of you might give up the parking spot that you have every Sunday that belongs to you and park in the back, and there's a back door with this cool entrance and it takes you right in the cafe where the donut holes are. You could park in the back and then come through and let somebody who's new have that spot. Just a wild, random idea. Um, you could get into a community group. And I know that some of you, I don't like sharing, I don't like talking to people. Well, that's on you, okay? We're family. We talk to each other, that's what we do. And maybe it's time to get involved in a group. Maybe it's time to, to start talking to some other people. I don't know what it is. There's, there's things that you can sign up for in the lobby, um, but at least we could have a hot dog together today, all right? I love you guys, have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.